Good morning, Calvary Church. How are you? Good, 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 good. It's so good to be with you this morning. Did you guys realize that we've gone through 21 sermons in this sermon series? The Daring Dudes, 21 sermons. And today is 22, and we're going to be looking at the final act of a dying, daring dude. We're going to be in 2 Kings 13, 10 through 25, and the things we have learned It's so awesome to see that Pastor Rick brought this to us as a pastoral team and said, guys, we're going to look at some daring guys. We're going to take apart their life and we're going to see what God has done with them. And there's a lot of stuff for our church and for us as individuals walking in and teaching that we can learn from these guys because we, our lives are filled with hardship and pain and hurt. And there's a lot of great truth and we've seen a lot. And today we're going to look at the final act of a dying, daring dude, Elisha. If you remember, if you, if you remember in God's word, Elisha was a farmer and he lived with his parents. He was bald. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but he carried a staff. He was, de- he, was a de- he was dedicated to the mission of God. And he lived his life not in fear, but in faith, listening and obeying the pa- commands God gave to him himself. And Elijah, as we can see, was a real daring dude. He was not afraid of conflict, and he certainly wasn't conflicted about telling the truth, especially the truth about God and his plans. God indeed used him in so many powerful ways. Miracles and missions, anointings and blessings. The man of God even asked uh, for a double portion of his mentor's spirit, and God granted him this request. And in his life, God used him to multiply oil and restore life, recover borrowed property, and even warn about plagues. He foretold the fall of of the Syrian monarch and the rise of the Jehu dynasty. His last recorded act was the anointing of King Jehu in 2 Kings 9.1. Today we're in 2 Kings 13, but the difference between 2 Kings 9.1 and his anointing and today is 45 years. 45 years, we hear nothing until Jehu's son dies and his grandson becomes king. And on his deathbed, this ordinary man who has done extraordinary acts will again testify to our promise-keeping God. Join me as we look at the closing act of a daring dude who loved the Lord and finished his race well. And even after death, God was still proclaiming his power through this prophet's life. We're going to be in 2 Kings 13, 10 through 15. Let's read together. Jump in here. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Joash, son of Johaz, became king of Israel in Samaria. And he reigned 16 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. As the other events of the reign of Joash, all that he did and his achievements, including the war against Amaz, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Joash rested with his fathers, and Jeroboam succeeded him on the throne. Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died, and Joash, king of Israel, went down to see him, and he wept over him, and he said, My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, go get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. He said, take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands over the, king hands over the king's hands. And then he says, open the east window. 
And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. And the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Asphek. Then he said, take the arrow, and the king took them. And Elisha said, strike the ground. And he struck it three times, and then he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. And once, once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw the band of raiders. So they threw the man's body in Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood to his feet. Hazal, king of Aram, oppressed Israel throughout the reign of Johaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them because of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to this day, he has been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. Hazal, king of Aram, died, and Ben-Hadad, the son, succeeded him as king. Then Joash, son of Johaz, recaptured from Ben-Hadad, son of Hazel, the towns in which he had taken in the battle from his father Joaz. Three times Joaz defeated him, and he, and he recovered the Israelite towns. This is the word of God. May add a blessing to the reading of it this morning. So the author introduces our new king in similar historical fashion. Joaz is the grandson of King Jehu, and he becomes king in Israel, in Samaria, of Israel in Samaria. And he reigns for 16 years. And the Bible records that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What evil? If you have forgotten, the kings have set up golden calf idol worship both in the north and southern parts of Israel. Not only that, they also promoted and consecrated priests to work in these, these places to serve the people in their sin. And also the Lord's anger burned against the people because they were creating Asherah poles, which were wooden carvings that people would sacrifice to. Now, King Joaz may not have established these acts, but he allowed them to continue under his kingly reign, which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's also a prompting for us. We may not establish things, but if when we see sin, we have to do something about sin. So as we go through the text, what do we know? We have a setup of who this king is and what he's done. We know how long he reigned and where he is actually buried today. We know that he didn't stop idol worship, and also we have a little glimpse of a civil war that he had with the southern tribes. We even see the same details, if you go one chapter over to 2 Kings 14, they're all laid out once again. But before we get to 2 Kings 14, we have this small moment. We have this very special moment. Elisha, our daring dude, is dying. And the new king goes to see him, and our, our text today exposes their final interaction. And on his deathbed, the prophet Elisha helps a king in his final act of service do three things. One, recognize the power of God. We're going to talk about that today. Number two, experience the power of God. And number three, expose the danger. This is for us as the church today. Expose the danger of half-hearted religious affiliation. So we're going to work together this morning. We're going to work this text together and see the powerful implications of these, what I'm calling, two wins and a loss. Ready? Let's pray. God, we love you, and we just thank you for this time. I thank you for the worship we were able to have this morning. It was beautiful. It sounded beautiful, and I know it was beautiful to you. We know that your word says that you dwell within the praises of your people. So God, thank you for being here. Thank you for meeting here, and we need your help. 
I need your help as we preach this text, and we know that your word never goes out void and will do the intended work that it needs to do. So God, I pray for our hearts today. I pray that we would recognize the power of God, that we would experience the power of God, and that we, we, as your people, would press in fully to the things that you have in store for us. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, in previous sermons, we learned that God uses his people to accomplish his great things. Amen? God uses people, you and me, to accomplish these great things. But even still, when God continues... When a pattern is set up with God's people, that will draw a crowd. If God continues to use a specific person or a group of people like a church, people start to take notice of that. I remember in 2008, I was in Bible college, and one of our professors was talking about this great thing that was happening in Florida. I heard the rumors as I was going through the hallways that God was on the move in Florida in this little place. I remember one of our professors showing us a sermon one day of, a, of this preacher from Canada down in Florida preaching. And this pastor from Canada wanted to have a one-week revival to tell the people of Lakeland, Florida that there is a king and his name is Jesus and they were preaching. And that one-week revival turned into 16 nonstop weeks. And that Revival drew people from everywhere. It says on May 29th, the ministry estimated over 140,000 people from over 40 nations had visited. And 1.2 million people watched through the internet. By June 30th, a month later, one month later, over 400,000 people from over 100 nations attended this little place in Florida. And one thing we can draw from this is that people are curious about the mysteries of God. People are curious about the mysteries of God. And when things start to happen in our life and we start to testify to the power and majesty of King Jesus, people are interested in that. It seems to draw a crowd. When God establishes a track track record with people, it draws a crowd. But that crowd is not always just the best, like, group of people like just willing to hear sometimes it's full of doubters or haters enemies of god the curious the half-hearted the lukewarm and the faithful they all seem to take notice and they come looking and that proposes a question and that proposed question for us today is what will onlookers see when they look at our lives an even deeper question to think about to ponder today is what do our lives reflect about our god Because this king saw something in Elisha. I think that needs to be the question we need to start asking. Does our lives say something about God? From conversion to right now, what does your life say about God? It seems to be true that when good works of the Lord happen, it draws a crowd. Who's in your crowd? In my crowd, I know that I have family and friends and coworkers and neighbors and people in my community. The businesses that I go to to do basic things, shopping, get my hair cut, they're all people placed there. That's my crowd. And I know I'm on mission to those people. Who's in your crowd? And from that crowd, genuine transformation can take place, but not, not in all, but in some. And as you testify to the power of God, as you keep your eyes up, focus on him, the author and perfecter of your faith, it will draw the attention of people who don't know Jesus. The crowd is not always curious people. Sometimes the crowd is hateful, hurtful. 
Sometimes the crowd is looking to hinder or halt the plans of God. But church, know this. A life lived in faith can display hope even to the damaged, most damaged people. They will see God and think, maybe, just maybe, their God could help someone just like me. What did the king see in Elisha? Elisha's life is telling this story. And the king goes to see the, the prophet who is dying. See, God's prophets remain his instrument of warning and encouragement, mercy and admonishment in Israel. And unlike King Ahab, do you remember King Ahab, what he called Elisha? He called Elisha the biggest troublemaker of Israel. But this king doesn't say that. Look at the text. What does the king say? Joash calls Elisha father, showing dignity and respect to the prophet, who seemed to hold more weight to the king than the king's own army. Elisha, an ordinary man, is being taken up. He's not being taken up to heaven like Elisha, his mentor, but he's dying of a terminal illness. And even in sickness, God uses him in one final act. Even in sickness, to the very end, God is still working through his prophet. He's working through the one that loves him. The Lord will work through us as well. In a visit to Nashville in 1907, legend has it that President Teddy Roosevelt had a cup of coffee. He had a cup of Maxwell House coffee, and he declared this slogan, that this coffee was good to the last drop. Just a a slogan dedicated to coffee. But what a legacy to leave behind as a faithful follower to Christ. Good to the very last act. Paul shares in Philippians 2.17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from my faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. Use me, Lord, is the testimony of Paul's life. Use me is the testimony of Elisha's life. Use me is the testimony of the church. You see, the king recognizes Elisha is an asset to the people of God, and then he acts. The king goes He actually makes the journey. He doesn't send somebody on his behalf like the other kings that we have read about. He goes himself. And when he goes, he comes weeping. And he says, Father, Father. He also says, the chariots chariots and horsemen of Israel. That's the same declaration that Elisha said about Elijah when he looked up when Elisha was being taken up to heaven. Did the king see the chariots and the horsemen of Israel? We don't know. doesn't say But after saying that line, we see the last act of Elisha. On his deathbed, the prophet Elisha helps a king in his final act of service recognize the power of God. Are you recognizing the power of God in your life? If you go one chapter back and you read about this king's father, you're going to take note that the king's father left him a very weak army. Chapter 13, verse 7 says, 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, 10,000 footmen, foot soldiers. You go back two verses to verse five, you'll see that Joash's, Joash's father sought the Lord and the Lord provided a deliverer. But the army, well, that's hardly an army at all. And what is this king to do? How is he supposed to lead with such limited resources? What it, what, where, where will he turn? Kind of sounds like us sometimes when we give excuses. Like, I only have this much 
I only have a limited resource. What am I going to do? But the king recognizes that the only way out of this situation was not going to come by just human help. He needed outside help. He needed a particular help. And what did King Joash see in Elisha? He saw help from God. He recognized through this prophet there was value. God-sized value. Leah, my sister, how are you this morning? I saw you worshiping. I looked over. I said, I'm going to use you in an example today. Why don't you come to the stage? <laughs> See, you never know what's going to happen at church, so be, be warned. Yep, bring your mask. You can just come to the front. Let's have a dialogue. Okay, okay I got something in my pocket. I want to show you it. What is this? Okay, is this worth anything to you? Um, yeah. Do you want it? Sure. Okay. But what if I fold it up? Still okay? Yeah, still good. What if I crumple it up? Still have value? I definitely unravel it, yeah. What if I step on it, <laughs> break my glasses, and throw it up in the air like this? Yeah, I think it's made out of plastic now, so yeah. So you can wash it, too? Yeah. So you still want it? Yeah. Why? It has value. Here's a Lysol wipe. Wipe it off. 20 bucks for you. (laughs) Have some lunch. Church, no matter what the culture says, no matter what government says, no matter what CNN News says, there is great value in the things of God. No matter where your life has been, there is still great value in seeking out God. I want you to remember this statement. If you seek after God with fullness of heart, you will, be, you will find God. That is a promise. If you call on the name of God, you will be saved. If you listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit, you will be given direction. If you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, you will be given new life. If you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. King Joash sought out Elisha for help. And Elisha didn't say, I'm sick. Why are you bothering me? Oh, I'm busy. He didn't say, I'm too tired or I'm too weak. If you go to God, he will listen to your requests. How he deals with your requests may not not be what or how you expect it to be, but God will listen and he will act. Let's look together at the text and see how Elisha acts towards King Joas. In verse 15, we see some instructions. Elisha gives the king four instructions. He says, one, go get your bow and arrows. He says, open the window. He says, strike or shoot. And the fourth thing he says is, strike the ground. Joash goes from recognizing the power to experiencing the power of God. He tells him, first, get your bow and arrow. Get your war tools ready. I wanted to bring in a bow and arrow today. I really did. But I have a track record of breaking things and setting things on fire and hurting. I don't want to hurt anybody because I don't really know how to use a bow and arrow. So I, for, I didn't do that today. But wouldn't it be cool if I had one, especially a crossbow? But King Joash <laughs> is told to go get his war tools. And Elisha tells him to pick up his bow and arrow. He tells him to pick up the bow, actually, and put it in his hands. And then once the king is holding the bow, Elisha puts his hands on the king's hands. Which this is, with this one symbolic act, Elisha is telling the king that when he enters into the battle, he enters the battle with the Lord's blessing on him. 
What did King Joash receive from Elisha? He received a covering, a blessing. If you have the righteousness of Christ in your life, you will never be forsaken. You will never be alone. Can we just stop, church, for just a moment? Just take in the gravity of this one act. Elisha plays in his hands on the king's hands. It's so simple, but for, so profound for the heart and mind. This moment, it's kind of huge for us today when you really think about it. How many of us actually are fighting battles right now? If we would be honest, probably a good number of us. And when you're fighting a battle or you're going through some turmoil, you're just uneasy about what the future holds, you kind of feel hopeless sometimes. You might even fear, feel fearful. The thing you may have to face this next week that's coming up, you may feel overwhelmed. Have you ever been facing a particular battle and feeling alone or afraid or worried? And then someone close to you says, a friend says, hey, I'll go with you. Hey, you are, you're in need. I have extra. Here, have this. And then you go from hopelessness to hopefulness. I remember dealing with a uh, a particular moment with Laura uh, when she was getting radiation done. Laura was getting radiation to her brain on one particular appointment. And Laura's in the room, and I'm sitting in the waiting room by myself, and a nurse wheels this older gentleman down, probably in his 80s, and he is very feeble and wrapped up, and he is there, and he is shaking, and he's scared. And this was breaking my heart watching because he was alone going through this, and I couldn't imagine going alone through something like this. And I said, sir, are you okay? And he said, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. And as you look at this man, and he's so little and frail, and he begins to tear up, and he's, he's crying because he's nervous. I said, well, what's happening today? What, what's going on? What, what are you do, getting done? He says, well, the nurse just told me from my appointment that I had to come down here, and they just gave me these clothes, and I put them on, and they wheeled me down there, and they said that they were gonna put a tattoo on me, and the, the tattoo is supposed to line up with a laser beam and they're going to put the laser radiation into that and I needed the tattoo and I'm afraid it's going to hurt. And I said, sir, I'm sorry that you have to do that, but I want to tell you it doesn't hurt. He says, well, how do you know that it doesn't hurt? How do you, how do you know? And I said, well, actually, my wife's actually in there right now and she's had it done and she told me it didn't hurt. And, she's, and he, he, he was still, he's still fearful when you go through a cancer journey, you're seeing a lot of doctors and you're seeing a lot of orderlies and people like that. You get to know these people. So the guy who was coming out, the radiation technician, I knew because I'd been talking to him. He knew I worked at the church. I knew his life. I said, I said his name and I said, this man is afraid. If he gives me permission, can I go in with him? And that, that one moment, you could see hope being restored to this little man. He, he stopped crying. He says, I give him permission. So him and I, I get his wheelchair and we walk in and we go in and he gets up on the table and he has the, the tattoo placement and they mark it all up and, and I said, are you okay? He said, it didn't hurt. I said, yeah. I said, it didn't hurt. I said, but you didn't know that, right? You didn't know what was coming. There's power knowing that somebody is with you always. If you're in Christ, you need to hear this. God goes with you. Some of us may have experienced similar transactions with people, but I want to tell you this. If you are in Christ, he goes with you. Some of you don't know that. Some of you are not recognizing that. Some of you have not experienced the power and presence of God. We need to have a symbolic moment here today, just like the one we're reading about in this text. 
If you're in Christ, he will never, ever, you will never, ever be alone. He will never leave you. He'll never give up on you. He won't even cast you away. This is a biblical promise. This is sustaining hope for us. This is how I get through it. When things are up to my eyeballs and I I don't know what to do next, I know I'm not alone. Even when I'm alone, I know I'm not alone because he is with me and his word will direct me and his spirit will counsel me. It's a biblical promise that Jesus will be by our side. If you are in Christ, you are not alone. And I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but I'm gonna say it. If you're battling right now without the presence and power of Christ, you will feel turmoil. You will be exposed to spiritual attacks and you will feel hopelessness. You see, self-will and self-motivation are not weapons that are useful in the battles we face day by day in this broken world. You see, positive thinking may be good for the emotion of that day. The, hey, I'm gonna grab life by the bootstraps and I'm gonna do this is a complete joke against our enemy. It's a joke. He laughs in the face of that. See, the enemy you face without Christ, he actually knows Christ. He knows his power. He knows his sacrifice. He knows his love and he hates it. And the enemy will do everything he can to distract you, confuse you, and use you so that you do not point, put your trust in Christ. So that you don't recognize, you don't experience, and you don't press in. And life feels always hard all the time. He loves it when you try to enter these battles in your life without the presence of God, the blessing of God, and the protection of God. That's why we need to suit up. Because the enemy you face without Christ is a liar, he's a thief, and a killer. And without Christ, you go into this battle alone. So we need to think about that. And what did King Joash receive? He received confirmation to go in the battle. He was about to experience the power of God. With one simple act, the king experienced the ultimate power and presence of God. When you go into the battle, you go with the Lord's blessing. We get all of that from one hand over another. And so many times we've probably, if you've read that, you might've read quickly past that and missed the power of that moment. Is the hand of God placed on your life? Are you experiencing the power of God in your life to overcome our fleshly battles? Do you have assurance of faith in your life? If you're answering no to any of these things, please come and talk to your pastors. We will show you in the scriptures the truth about Jesus Christ. So the king, he's holding the bow. Elijah puts his hand on him. Then he says, go open the window, but not just any window. You have to open the east window because the battle will take place in the east. He's giving him, he's not only recognizing the power of God, but he's now experiencing of the power of God, of what God does in our life. He gives us direction. So go open the window, but go open the east window. And when you open it, what I want you to do is shoot, shoot the arrow. Picture the king inside looking out the window, pulling back the bow and letting the arrow go. He shoots from the inside out. You need to suit up on the inside so you can be sure of the battle that will take place outside. 
The people of God, we come here, we need to suit up in the house of God. We need to come with open hearts as God opens, as the word of God is open. We need to take it in. We need to dress up, Ephesians 6, in the, in the war, uh, in the battle armor to go out so that we can face the battles outside. We shouldn't be fighting inside. We should be arming up. We should be gathering and suiting up so that we can face the battle that will take place outside. The king opens the window. And then the big declaration comes. Elisha tells him to shoot, and the king shoots, and Elisha proclaims the Lord's arrow of victory, the victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. I can just picture, Elisha's in his 60s now, he's, he's, he's dying, this is his last act, act, and he's pulling all his strength together, he's full of zeal, he's full of, full of love and passion for the Lord, He's on fire, and he's declaring the Lord's arrow of victory. Elisha doesn't say it's the king's arrow, or because of the battle plan, or even because you have the blessing of the Lord. The battle cry, the battle is only declared a victory because of the Lord's arrow. It is the Lord that will def defeat the enemies of the king. The Lord will show mercy to his people once again. The big idea for this whole sermon series is the people of God keep messing it up. And someone tells the truth and the people repent and God shows mercy and grace. There is hope for even us. Once again, a powerful reminder that God, it is God who takes care of his people. It is the Lord who fights. It is he who holds the victory. And he gives it to us, his people, his victory arrow. The Lord gives his people the arrow. It is a free gift. We are to take it and believe and not doubt. Jesus himself in Matthew 21, 21 replied this. He says, truly I tell you, if, if you have faith, and you do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. The power of faith. Recognizing, experiencing, believing. Do you have the Lord's victory? Do you have the arrow of victory? The salvation victory, do you have it? See, the, the war on death was won. We, we sang about it. Christ is our victor. He has given us the victory so that we may, be li we may live. Have you exchanged your sin for his grace, the great exchange? See, the war has been won. And are you recognizing the power of God? Are you experiencing the power of God in your life? Two important questions. The king did. He recognized and he experienced. And what the king does Next is an all too familiar pattern that seems to even take place today. The victory is given to the king, but then a test follows. What will you do with the Lord's victory in your life? What will you do with what the Lord has given you? And I call this the loss. King Joash fails to press in fully to all of God. And what Elisha does for us is he exposes the danger of half-hearted religious affiliation. So, see, as God's people, sometimes when we think we have all that we need, we kind of put God on the side. We stop pressing into God. 
When people had their fill, they seemed to pull away from God. And as we read in the text, Elisha tells King Joash to take his arrows and strike the ground. And this is not telling taking a, bu- a bunch of arrows and hit the ground. He's saying, take the arrows and shoot them. Show me what you're going to do in the battle. And I can just imagine this experience because Elisha is fired up. And King Joash takes his bow, puts the first arrow on, draws it back and shoots. And I can just feel Elijah just like, yeah, the Lord's arrow of victory. Show me again what you're going to do. He picks up another arrow. He shoots it. Awesome. Look what the Lord is doing. He has victory. Third arrow shoots. Yes, go, go. And then he stops shooting. Church, we got to stop. We can't stop, actually. We can't stop shooting. We got to keep pressing in. We got to keep going. Whatever God calls us to, and we, have called to the, we are called to the lordship of him in our life, we got to... We got to keep pressing in. We got to keep going. See, Elisha is fired up, excited. He shoots three arrows. What did the king think? Well, am I go- am I- I'm going to win this. I'm going to win the battle anyway. What do I need to shoot all the arrows for? The king holds back, not knowing that the lack of zeal translated into God's limited blessing. Don't stop shooting. We see that Elisha, on his very last act, is angry. He says, why didn't you shoot five or six times? You could have completely destroyed. You only shot three times. But the prophecy does come true, verse 25. He defeated the enemy three times. God keeps his promise, but we have this warning. We as God's people can't give up on the pursuit of God. We as God's people need to press in even more and not take a break on it. Look at it like this. Our life is like a car. Just imagine that. And the blessings and mercy and grace and the salvation and the Lord's victory arrow is all the gas that we need to move the car. You need the gas to move the car and the goal is to get from here to there. And God gives you the gas and we start to move forward. He gives you that salvation. He gives you that mercy. He gives you that grace. And we start going fast, especially at salvation. But then as life happens, we begin to coast. And sometimes we even take a pit stop in our faith. Sometimes we even slow right down and we don't move. And we stop recognizing the power of God. We stop experiencing the power of God because we're not pressing in to all of God. And we get stuck. And when we get stuck, we cry out, God, I need you. And what does God do? He gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness. He gives us the the ability to move forward. But then when life gets hard or confusing or inconvenient, the people of God pull back. Church, this is the only time I'm going to tell you that you can put the gas pedal to the floor. You are allowed to open it up and go as fast as you want with God. Go hard after God. Keep shooting. Use all your gas up pursuing the will of God, the presence of God, the power of God. And you do this by listening to God the Spirit, by trusting in God the Son, and by worshiping God the Father. And just to be clear, I'm not telling you that you could, after service you could get in your car and rip out of our fancy new parking lot. Don't do that. But I am saying it's time to get it in a gear and get after the holiness and sanctification that is promised for us. Amen? Amen. 
Well, our text says that Elisha died. I was a little sad when I was reading that as I was preparing this week. Even in my prayer time, I said to the Lord, I hope he didn't die angry because he was angry at this last moment. I'm sure he didn't die angry in his last moments. I'm sure he was blessed to be able to be used by God good to the very last act because he was going to be with God. Elisha as an ordinary man, a daring dude, spent his life doing daring things for his God. And when he died, he was put into a cave. And our next section of scripture gives us a few clues into timing and what happens when the word of God and the people of God are absent. That's why church is essential. That's why we can't give up on this. We can't give up on what is true and we can't give up proclaiming the truth that we know. Because when we stop, raiders come. We have a scene, it's springtime. Some Israelites are burying a man. It's taking place near the cave of Elisha. As soon as the prophet is dead, the next verse tells us that the Moabites are invading the land. These are ruthless killers who come to kill and destroy. The Israelites bearing the body see them coming. They get scared. They throw the body in the tomb of Elijah and they run away. They put the body there. What happens next is a, a, a hope moment for us. The man's body touches the bones of Elisha and he comes back to life. Elisha's dead body, one author says this, Elisha's dead body communicated life to another body. It's a great miracle. It is the great miracle played out in plain indication of another life after this. Death is not the end. After death, we will see a resurrection. After your death, you'll be called to resurrection. Will you, be, will you rise with the Lord in eternity or to judgment and separation from God? This decision is not made after you die. It's only made while you are alive. Will you commit your life to Christ? And, and, and if you have committed your life to Christ, will you commit to the Lordship of Christ in your life? For there will be a resurrection. You see, Elisha brought glory to God when he was living, and Elisha brought glory to God after his departure. Elisha was an ordinary man who turned his life over to the lordship of God, and look what God did with his life. The only question left, left from this series is, what will God do with yours? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time this morning. God, will you help your church to recognize and experience and press in full to what you have for us? I pray that our church would be a church that draws crowds, that you begin to move in the leadership here and the people here, that we would be of one mind and one heart and one baptism and one spirit doing the things that bring honor and glory to you, God. I pray that you would protect us and keep the enemy at bay. I pray for our people. I pray that as they are recognizing your power, as they are experiencing your power, as they are pressing in to all of you, God, that you would do wonderful and amazing things. I pray for people in our family to be saved. I pray for our neighbors to be impacted. I pray for our community to change. We need to pray big, bold prayers like this because we know that we have a big God who can do this. This is not a big request to you, but it's huge for us. So God, as your church, we pray, use us to the very last act. In your name I pray, amen. Well, church, have you decided to follow Jesus?
as the band Journey states, don't stop believing. There's great value in the things of God for you. God has given these treasures as a gift to us. His son, his spirit, his word. He's gifted us as the church. Are you recognizing his great power in your life? Are you experiencing his great power in your life? If you haven't committed your life to God, come speak to one of your pastors after service. We'd love to talk to you. If you committed your life, church, don't coast. Press in, press in every day, press in today. Seek the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know what will happen? You'll be blessed. And God will use you. May our lives be a drink offering poured out for the kingdom of God. We all have some good work set aside for us to do. Each of us play a part in that. Let's do that together as God's church, amen? Well, I hope to see you all come back tonight so that we can dig a little bit deeper and look at application on how to apply this to our our day-to-day life. And uh, I hope you have a great DC group and I hope you have a great week. God is with you. We love you. God bless you.